First Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. First Corinthians chapter 15. Just a reminder, next week we begin a, I think, a defining series. And it's going to be on the subject of prayer. And I would like to invite you to join with me in that series each Sunday for the next several months as we explore the subject of prayer. Uh, There is going to be a promotional video that I'm going to be making and getting out on the web. In fact, it will be, I know one place you can find it is on our website. So I'm just asking you, would you be willing to share that video about this upcoming series on prayer with maybe some people who might really uh, benefit from, from this upcoming series. I personally think that this series is going to change my life, and I think it's going to change everyone's life if you hang in there and really uh, we, we gain an, a deeper understanding about prayer through this upcoming series. I'm excited about that coming up. But today we wanted to do a standalone message. And obviously being, you know, a Sunday where we celebrate the resurrection, uh, I wanted to incorporate that. But I also thought because it's our fifth anniversary, uh, I thought I, I wanted God to lead me to a passage where it was almost like God, God was able to say, okay, folks, you know, this, this is what you've been doing. That's good, but let's let's keep on going. Let, let's keep on on moving forward because obviously the, the work is not done because Jesus hasn't returned yet, and obviously we're not dead yet. So that means there's still work to be done. So God led me to this passage in First Corinthians 15, where yes, this is a chapter all about the resurrection and our resurrection bodies, and obviously I would encourage you to on your own, spend time in 1 Corinthians 15. If you have questions or want to know more insight about, well, what kind of body are we going to have and all of that, uh, at least the answers that God gives us, as much as he gives us, you'll find in 1 Corinthians 15. But today, what I wanted to do was look at these last few verses of the chapter, from verse 50 through verse 58. And I sort of see this passage divided in in this way. I think Paul is reminding the the, the Christians at Corinth and us about our destiny. What what is reality? What is coming, if you will, for each of us? And and then, if that's our destiny, what's our duty? If, If this is what's going to happen to each of us, if this is what we know God says is, is going to happen, then what should my life be, you know, looking like now, if you will, based on the truth that God has revealed in his word? So I, I want to just read this passage because a lot of times we don't do that. I want to read this passage and then just go back and just share a few things that God laid on my heart from, from my study of this passage uh, these last several weeks. So please follow along with me. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 50. Paul says, Now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. 
In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Now when this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on the immortality, then this saying that is written will be happening. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, dear brothers and sisters, be firm. Do not be moved. Always be outstanding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul is laying out our destiny. And in this passage, he's saying, you realize as a human being of flesh and blood that what awaits us, this body can't enjoy. This body that you and I are having right now, it doesn't fit for eternity. So Paul says, here's the reality. There is resurrection. There is resurrection. In fact, in verse 20, he says, now Christ is risen from the dead. You may doubt that. You may not believe that. But that's the reality. There is resurrection. And oh, by the way, Jesus, our Lord, rose from the dead. And Jesus even said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were to die, he shall live again. And Jesus said to his followers, because I live, you will live also. There is resurrection. And Jesus did rise from the dead. Now again, maybe you don't believe that. That doesn't mean that's not real. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it not reality. In fact, what I want to share today, again, is that if you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, I wish you would at least take the time to prove that there is no resurrection of Jesus. Because I don't think you can prove that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And if you can't prove that Jesus rose from the dead then why don't you believe in the resurrection and all that that means? Because Jesus even said, this one event, my resurrection, basically will be used by God to verify everything that God ever said. So if you doubt God, you doubt in the existence of God, you doubt the word of God, you doubt it all... God is basically saying, I'll give you a historical fact that basically proves and verifies everything. And if you don't believe it, I would say again, prove it. Too many times as Christians, we get on the defensive and we're like trying to prove the resurrection, which I'd be glad to do. Because I think there's great proof and evidence for the resurrection. But my goodness, if you don't believe it, I would ask you first to disprove it. Why don't you believe in the resurrection? What proof can you give me? And when you even begin to think about this, 
There were two huge influential groups of people that if they could have disproven the resurrection, if they could have produced the the dead body of Jesus, if they could have once and for all dispelled that all these followers of Jesus that even went to martyrdom because they believed in the risen Jesus and even Paul himself who saw Jesus, how do you explain the change in Paul? How do you explain... Other than the resurrection, a man who gave his entire life to persecute the church of the Lord Jesus and then have this drastic turnaround and become one of its greatest heralds. How do you explain that if Paul didn't have a personal encounter with the risen Jesus? And so I think there's great evidence and great proof that Jesus rose from the dead, and the Jewish leadership, if anybody would have wanted to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead, it would have been the Jewish leadership in Jesus' day. Oh, and then another group, even more powerful, more influential, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire that was in charge of the world had the opportunity 2,000 years ago That close to the events that happened to say, oh, no, no, that never happened. And here's why we can prove as the Roman Empire, Jesus never rose from the dead. Well, 2,000 years later, and even more now, we stand here and sit here because no one has ever been able to prove Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And the Romans never did it, and the Jews never did it, and no human being's ever been able to do it. And I stand before you today, not just as a follower of Jesus Christ, as one who has chosen to follow Jesus Christ, but one who has chosen to give my life to the calling of God on my life as a pastor for 30 plus years. And I tell you, my friend, that I would have not given my life to something that I thought was a lie. If I did not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and conquered death, I would have never lived my life the way I did. But I believe with all of my heart and with the deepest conviction that Jesus Christ is alive today. And I know that because he lives within me. And I hope you know that as well. There is resurrection. And then the Bible teaches here, Paul says, not only is there resurrection, there is the reality of the kingdom of God. Notice back in verse 50, he says, Now this is what I'm saying, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood, our present bodies as they exist now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus, when he was being examined by Pilate, said to Pilate, Look, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was this world, then, yeah, that'd be a whole different story, Pilate, but my kingdom's not of this world. But that doesn't make my kingdom any less real. My kingdom exists today through the hearts of those who believe in me. And that's where my rule and reign exists today. My rule and reign as the ruler of this universe exists in the lives of those who have chosen to acknowledge me and believe in me. But one day the Bible predicts that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And one day this kingdom will literally reign here on earth. And Jesus will reign over his kingdom 
on earth. And you and I who believe in him will not only be part of that kingdom, we will co-reign and rule with him in that kingdom. That's a reality. So there's the reality of the resurrection. There's the reality of the kingdom of God. And then there is the reality of this change that's coming. Paul talks about it twice in this passage. He says, listen, verse 51, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all experience physical death. One way the change comes, this, this altered, you know, different transformation of our bodies into another body that's fit for eternity, he says, That happens one of two ways for every human being that's ever existed. We either die and then we get a change and we are fitted with a body that is fit for eternity or we are alive when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes and we are within, you know, a moment, a twinkling of an eye, an amount of time that can't even be measured. We are changed. But The important truth here is, no matter how it happens, all of us here today, and anyone who listens to this, based upon the Word of God, we all, the reality is, we will all be changed. Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. All of us. In fact, he says that at the end of verse 51 again. We won't all sleep. Sleep is used as a metaphor in the New Testament for death. He's not teaching soul sleep here. That when a person dies, they just sort of go to sleep. He's saying that we will not all experience physical death. And I've shared this before, even the word cemetery Where the dead are buried literally means a place of sleep, a place of rest. And that's what the physical body looks like when it dies. It looks like it's just asleep. Why is it described that way? Because it's not going to stay that way. Every human being will be changed. Again, based upon what Paul said at the beginning. Why is that? Because flesh and blood, these present bodies that we live in, they can't survive. Through eternity. That's one of the reasons why we die. Because the body we live in now, even as Christians, is a body that is subject to decay, to deterioration, and ultimately to death. And folks, whether you want to deny it or not ever think about it or whatever, here's the reality. Unless Jesus does come in our lifetime, every one of us in this room is going to die. Every one of us. No one can escape that reality. But the hope is, and the cool thing is for followers of Jesus Christ is, but that's not the end. Death isn't the end any more than it was for Jesus. All that means for us is that we get changed. And we get to exchange this flesh and blood body that is subject to disease and decay and deterioration and death. And we get fitted with a body that God makes for us that is fit for all of eternity. That never will wear out, never will die again, never will be subject to disease, never will be subject to decay or deterioration at all. And I say praise God for that.
But here's the sobering thing. Even though Paul is directly talking to Christians here in 1 Corinthians 15 about the change that will happen to us and the positive side of that, there's also sort of a negative side. Well, not sort of, there is. And that is that even if you choose not to believe in Jesus, you don't believe the resurrection is reality, you don't believe the coming kingdom of God is reality, and you don't believe that this change coming is reality for you. God's going to fit you with a body fit for eternity too. You will exist for all of eternity. No human being that God ever created and brought into this world is not an eternal soul. That's never the question. The question is always, where are you going to choose to spend eternity and what are you going to be doing throughout eternity? For those of us who believe in the realities that the Bible teaches us, then we believe that we will be part of God's kingdom and we will live with Christ and with God throughout eternity. Worshiping, serving, learning, growing, fellowshipping. It's going to be wonderful. But for those who choose to reject Jesus Christ and the reality of what the Bible teaches, the Bible says there's a destiny for you as well. You will go out into darkness, spiritual darkness for all of eternity. It's a place the Bible calls the lake of fire. And it is just as real as heaven. And that's where God will fit you, those who choose not to believe, with a body that will also be existing for all of eternity. But because you chose and said no to God, you will not experience throughout forever God's love and God's care because you, you said, I don't want you, God. I don't want what you have for me. I don't want what you offer me. And so God says, fine. I give you a choice. You want to live apart from me forever? There you go. Darkness. Forever. So everyone gets changed. Everyone will experience this change to be fitted from this body into a body that can endure eternity. You and I choose what that destiny looks like. Which is why then in this passage, both directly and indirectly, Paul also is telling us about another reality. And that is the reality of eternity. This life and, and what the world offers and what we can, you know, somehow grab and grasp a hold of in this life is certainly not all that there is. That God always planned for eternity to be a part of our existence. You see. Now, unlike God who had no beginning and no end, we obviously all had a beginning. But the Bible teaches, though we have a beginning, none of us ever have an end. We will all exist forever. There is 
an eternity out there, a forever waiting for us. Unlike what many philosophers and people think, when a body is cremated or placed into the ground, that's not the end of their existence. And can I say too, they don't come back as something else. The Bible doesn't buy in to reincarnation, okay? But the Bible does teach resurrection. That all of us, no matter when we die, our bodies will be resurrected and changed and given a body that, again, can endure and enjoy eternity. That's why, beginning in verse 53, he says, look, this is absolutely necessary. This that is perishable, this that is subject to decay and deterioration, must put on the imperishable. That's the only way we can live eternally, is to let this body go and get the body that God has for us that can last forever. That's why he says, this mortal body must, absolutely necessary, put on immortality. Now, Paul goes on to say, now, when this happens, we realize the, the true magnitude of what the Scripture says when it says death has been swallowed up. It's been totally consumed, if you will, and overruled by the life that we have through Jesus. That's why death for the Christian is not something that we sit around every day and dread. It's not that we want to die. It's not that we go out and hasten our death. But we certainly don't live our lives in fear of death. Because again, we believe in the truth of God's Word. We know that when we do die, that we're just going to be changed and we're going to be with Christ for all of eternity. And that's why he says, Death has been swallowed up, destroyed, devoured once and for all in victory. Death has been totally and completely vanquished by God. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? My friend, if you're here today and you've not yet believed in the reality of the resurrection, the kingdom of God, the change that's coming... you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then my question to you is, what is your answer for death? What is your answer for sin? What is your answer for the power of sin in your life? Do you have an answer for that apart from Jesus Christ? Because Paul says, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. And there is no answer, Paul says, to death, to sin, to the guilt and shame of it, to the burden of it, to the power of it in our life, apart from Jesus Christ. But Paul says, thanks be to God that we have complete victory, complete conquest over death, sin, the power of sin, and all of that through Jesus Christ our Lord. The victory doesn't come through religion. The victory doesn't come through us trying to be a good moral person because we can never live up to the law. That's not the purpose of the law. 
God gave the law to show human beings, you can't live up to this standard. You need a savior. You can't save yourself. And yet for thousands of years, human beings have tried to save themselves rather than fall upon the mercy and the, at the cross of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me. Because I can't save myself. And by the way, this verse in the original language is emphatic. And it's very personal. The only victory, the only conquest, the only way any human being can overcome death, sin, the power of sin, is through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no other way. There is no other answer, my friend. If you're trying to find an answer for all of these things apart from Jesus Christ, I can tell you based upon the authority of God's word, you won't find it. Because the only victory over these things is Jesus Christ. So Paul now says, okay, I've shared with you what's coming. This is reality. And again, even if you don't believe it, that doesn't mean it's not real. Many people in the world have not believed that there's a God, but that doesn't mean he doesn't exist. Reality is what it is, regardless of whether human beings ever buy into it or not. That doesn't change reality. God wants us as human beings to get into reality and begin living in the reality that is him that he's revealed. And so Paul says, here it is. Whether you believe it or not, There's a coming resurrection. There's a coming kingdom of God. There's a coming change in your life. And oh, by the way, there's an eternity that awaits you. And if all these things are real and true, Paul says, then this should be our response to those things. See, that's the cool thing about the Bible, about God's word. When God teaches truth, when God teaches reality, when God teaches what we used to call doctrine... God always gave practical application based upon that truth. God would say, okay, now you realize if this is true, then this should be the corresponding behavior to that. That's why I say, if someone says they believe in Jesus Christ, then there should be a change in the way they live their life. Because there's no such thing biblically as, I believe in these truths and these realities, but... My life doesn't reflect it. That's foreign to God. That's foreign to the Bible. God says, no. If that reality is true in our lives, then our lives will start to reflect that. There will be a corresponding behavior to that. So Paul says, here's what it is. He says, so then, verse 58, my dear, my beloved fellow Brothers and sisters, my fellow believers, first of all, be firm, he says. The word firm means to be settled. Oh my goodness, even amongst Christians. Christians are so restless today. They can't sit or be settled at any one thing for a long period of time. Talk about attention deficit disorder. It is rampant spiritually in the church today. 
Because Paul says, if all these realities are true, and you're truly trusting in Jesus Christ, and you have victory in Him, then my goodness, friends, be settled in Him. Stop living your lives as if you're lacking or deficient in something. If you found Jesus, you found all you need. Be settled in Jesus. Paul said to the Colossians, he said, so since you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, firm in your faith. Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7. And then Paul tells the Corinthians in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, he says, I fear that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from the seer, uh, uh, sincere and simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm afraid for you because you're so easily distracted. You're so restless there in Corinth. You're not firm yet. You're not settled spiritually yet. You're always just churned up on the inside. And you're always running to this thing and that thing. And even though you say and claim you have Jesus in your life, it's like you're living as if you're missing something. And Paul's saying to us, if those realities are true in your life, then start living as if you're not missing anything. Because you got Jesus. And He's all we need. Be firm. And then Paul goes on in verse 58, and don't be moved. This means to be persistent, to be resolute, to be tenacious. Paul's saying to the Corinthians and to us, whatever spiritual ground you've gained, however far you've come spiritually, hold your ground and make a stand and take a stand and stop letting the world and everybody push you around and push you back. So often as Christians, we are so weak in our, even our own convictions, that we just let people push us around and push us all over the place. And Paul says, I need you to not be moved. Don't be intimidated. Don't give up any more ground. Hold your ground and then keep on moving forward. We as the church, we've moved. We've moved based upon political correctness and on, on what our culture and society says how things should be. And my friends, I hate to say this, but that's not the eternal realities. These are the eternal realities. And as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we better stop moving and we better stand up and step up. And then Paul says, always be outstanding in the work of the Lord. The word outstanding means to go above and beyond, to be overflowing in the work of the Lord. Wow. Obviously, this is between you and God. But I think it's a question we all need to ask ourselves then. Am I really engaged and engrossed in the work of the Lord? 
Or am I life pretty much my own agenda and what I want to do? Because Paul says again, if the realities of resurrection and kingdom of God and this change is coming and eternity is coming, if I really believe that, then won't I be engaged and engrossed in God's work and what God wants me to do rather than living my life for me and what I want? And Paul says, won't I be willing to go above and beyond instead of just doing what I need to do to get by? Or the very least? Or for many Christians today, it's like, well, you know what, God, I'll serve you and I'll minister for you and I'll be part of a local church as long as it all works into my schedule and it's convenient for me. God, don't ask me to do anything inconvenient. And now think about what we're saying when we say that to God. We're saying, Jesus, don't ask me to be inconvenienced even though you took that cross for me. Oh, yeah, but... No, there's no buts. Would you describe your life as being engaged and engrossed in the work of God? What's God asking of you? What's God calling you to do? If we believe these realities, then isn't that what we should be our focus? Rather than all these other things that we've become involved with? And then he says, knowing. There's a big, important word. The word knowing means to keep in the forefront of our minds. In other words... There's only a few things God says should always be in the forefront of our minds, and this should be one of them. Why? Because if I don't keep it in the forefront of my mind, soon it goes to the back of my mind, and soon it's disregarded and it's dumped. And soon my life takes on a whole different trajectory because I didn't keep that in the forefront of my mind. What am I supposed to always, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, who believes in these realities that Paul has shared, what should I always keep in the forefront of my mind? That my labor for God is never in vain. That's what Paul said. By the way, I love this word he uses for labor here. Again, it... It reminds us that God calls us to labor. Would you describe your Christian ministry and service and life for God as labor? And I realize, I'm going to use an illustration that we men don't even get. But when I read that word, I was like, yeah, you ever watch a woman in labor? Not easy, is it? But what it produces is wonderful. It's a blessing. And too often, I think we as Christians shortchange ourselves because we're not willing to labor. And then we wonder, well, God, why do I not see wonderful things being produced out of my life? Why do I, I don't see any fruit. And I think God would say to us, are you laboring? And by the way, this word in the original language literally means this, to take a beating. You ever think about that in the context of serving God? That God, I'm willing to take a beating for you and your kingdom. I'm willing to do that. And what Paul says is, I was willing to literally take a beating. I was stoned. I was whipped. I was scourged. 
I was smacked around. But I think Paul would say, oh, it, it went way beyond the physical. I took a beating in ministry. He says, I was misunderstood. I was misrepresented. I was criticized. I was talked about. I was gossiped about. And Paul would lump all that into, I was willing to take a beating for what really mattered. And Paul is saying, if we believe these realities, why aren't we willing to step up and take a beating? Why are we so easy to say as Christians, well, you know, I'll serve God as long as things are easy. But man, when things get get hard, I'm cutting and running. Can I tell you a little personal testimony? If God wouldn't have grabbed a hold of me 30 years ago, after about six months as a pastor, I'd have said, I'm done. Because I love y'all. And it's a joy to be your pastor, but being a pastor is not necessarily easy. Any more than your life is easy and what you have to juggle and deal with. But I hope you're living for what you think is really worth it. Because there's an eternity coming. And Paul is saying, whatever beating you take for Christ and for his kingdom, it is never in vain. It's never going to be empty. It's never going to be hollow. It's never going to be meaningless. It's never going to be purposeless. That a million years from now and a billion years from now and forever and now, when we are in eternity, we're so going to be glad that we gave our all for Jesus Christ and that we believed in these realities and that we lived these realities. Because here's what Paul's really saying in this passage. That now... Matters for eternity. That the way you and I choose to live our lives now will count forever. Forever is a long time. And yet the Bible teaches us as Christians that our role, our responsibilities... The things that God is going to entrust to us forever is going to be based on how I'm living life now. Some of you may be like other Christians who have a very shallow view of eternity and the kingdom of God to come. And your response to this kind of message might be like a lot of people. Well, I just know my sins are forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. That's okay for me. That, that's all I care about. That I just make it. If, 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 I, if I even have no rewards or nothing for living, for, that's okay because I'm in, I'm good. And I, I honestly, I almost, I don't want to, you know, like be embarrassing or anything, but I almost want to go, Really? That's how you're looking at it? And then I'm going, how does, that, how does that fit with what the Bible teaches? And then I even think, does a person who really has that attitude, are you even really saved? Because my understanding would be, if, I'm really, if I really have Jesus in my heart, and I really love Jesus, then I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And I'm not going to be satisfied to just get in. 
that I'm going to realize these eternal realities, and that is that everything I will be doing for throughout eternity, everything that God gives me to do, forever, is based on the way I'm living now. I don't know about you, but to me, that motivates and inspires me every day. Because I know eternity's coming. I want to make my life now count for eternity. That's the hope we have in Jesus. Do you have that hope, that confidence, and that assurance today, my friends? Let's pray. God, I pray that for all of us, the realities of what you have revealed in your word would truly capture our hearts and grip our lives like never before. God, forgive us for being so casual and complacent. Because for many, there's a disconnect between what we claim or say we believe and what we believe is really going to come to pass. There's a disconnect between how that's reflected in our everyday lives. And God, I think it's very clear what Paul is calling the Corinthians and us today to to see. And that is, do we believe these things? And what do we believe reality is? And if we have placed our confidence in the realities revealed in the Word of God, then what does our life look at, look like? How does it correspond to what I say I believe? God, may you use this time with you, with your people and in your word today to raise us up as your people to another level with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.